Lucky Land Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kids' PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Blog Talk Radio. Are you tired of being sheep? Well, so is he. Get a friend, get informed, and get involved. It's We Are Not Channel Radio. Good evening and welcome to We Are Not Cattle Radio. Holy cluster, Batman. Thank you, Skype, for being extremely difficult to log into. But hey, we're live now. Thank you so much for joining me. Coming to you live every Tuesday and Thursday night from 9 until 11 p.m. Trying to bring you some, I guess, some decoder ring of the craziness. That is going on all over the country and all over the world. I've got um, a friend of mine going to pop in here, pretty much a um, a staple on the show. Ever since he and I did a podcast on the Adam versus the Man show, we've uh, we kind of hit it off and became pretty good friends. And he is one of the only people to know the absolute bizarro story that happened to me uh, about three weeks ago. So if you ever run into me at a Liberty event or anything like that. If you run into me out in public, I will be sure to tell you about the craziness that ensued at the oil change place in in Duluth, Georgia. We'll just put it that way. So thanks, everybody, for tuning in tonight. Tons of stuff to get into. We're going to get into Egypt today. We're going to get into um, we're going to get into Fukushima. Uh, you name it. We're going to cover the waterfront. And um, happy birthday to the one and only Dr. Ron Paul. I will have um, probably about 20 minutes of the last segment dedicated to him. Um, Some of my favorite speeches, some stuff that um, a friend of mine sent me today was basically just like a hodgepodge of, of everything that he's ever said, and it was basically debate highlights in he really does, in, in a matter of seconds, crystallize what is wrong with this nation, what is wrong with the, I guess with the approach that we have worldwide, whether it's through foreign aid or whether it's through foreign entanglements or whether it's just letting a private banking group run our country and basically run the world and then bail out their buddies and, you know, everything's fine. Sign you on to that. That's fine. You know, it's not their money. It's just, it's just a bailout. It's just a bailout. That's all it is. It's just your tax dollars, just your children's future. And it's funny, the more people I talk to, like uh, I have a friend of mine that I um, that I talk to all the time. He said he ran into a guy down in um, in Florida. It was a, um, I guess he was a kind of high up in uh, Citigroup. It was either Citigroup or Bank of America, one of the two. And he says that, um, you know, after talking with the guy for a little while, the guy started opening up, and he said that he he realized that what they were doing 
wasn't going to be sustainable, and so now he does everything he can and has you know moments where he tries to teach people what's really going on and how how the monetary system really works and who benefits from the monetary system. And then he went on to try to debate my friend that's read every one of Dr. Paul's books and understands how the Federal Reserve System works and and understands the track record of the Federal Reserve. And the guy said, well, you know, they do a good job of keeping inflation down. And my friend laughed at his face, and the guy got kind of nervous because I guess that he he understood that you know, my friend didn't buy what he was selling. Because if you do the research for yourself, it gets – it gets ridiculous. Just go and listen to a couple of lectures from somebody that's not a Keynesian economist, and you'll see the mass discrepancies on what you're preached to and what reality actually is. It's kind of a paradox of what the world really is. You know, we're told that the world is this certain way, and you have to live in this certain box, and I say hogwash. I say I don't want to live in a box. I say I don't want to live in a police state. I say I don't want to have a, a private banking group run my nation and run my military, because they do. The Federal Reserve System and its shareholders are basically in command and control of almost anything that you could ever imagine. And that's not really conspiracy theory. Just look at the way that the Senate and the House and the way that Washington runs. And I love how these people think that Washington is supposed to pass laws all the time. That's not what they're there for. They're there to have the stalemate and the debate. But what's happened now is that you've got... Special interest groups had to basically split the entire um, house of cards, so to speak, into two different um, combines. They both the combines work towards the same objective, which is total control of the population. And anybody that denies that, you've never studied what governments do. And I, I just, I don't know. I don't know what to tell you. Maybe start with the Roman Empire and see how they used to control people, and then and then work your way up to like to like the um, to the Prussians and and the people that developed you know the modern enslavement through um, having the state-run education, and then you'll really get a could a I guess a little bit of an idea of of how they do it, and it's not very difficult because once you break the conditioning, you see it all around you. You see the conditioning around you, and you have people over in I, I watched a. Um, I do do this from time to time now, everybody, and I recommend that you do the same. At about 9 o'clock um, every night, except for Tuesdays and Thursdays because you should be here listening to the real news and not the fake propaganda, the government propaganda that's out there. But I watched MSNBC, I watched CNN, and then I flipped over to Fox, and – I really thought Alex Jones was joking where he says that everything on MSNBC is race baiting. And then and then CNN kind of follows suit. Now I heard something and I was watching the um the interview that was going on with Pierce Morgan on on CNN with the with the writers of The Butler and um he had Cuba Gooding Jr. on and um Lenny Kravitz who I really respect his work and and respect who he is as an individual because of the choices he's made in his life, and he doesn't make choices just because it's the trendy thing to do. He makes choices because these are the things that he believes in, and 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 and, and really, that's his opinion. And I I can never slight somebody for being for being very, you know, 
passionate about their beliefs because I'm passionate about my beliefs. Does it mean that I'm going to agree with everything you say? Probably not. But debate is healthy. What's not healthy is what we have in America. What we have in America are arguments. There is no debating. There is no seeing another side or there is no seeing a different perspective. It's all it's all basically clashing with fellow citizens and fellow human beings. There is not a debate. You're not trying to learn anything. You're trying to prove your point, and then you're trying to get people to to basically follow you. Whether it's in a religion, whether it's you know Christianity, Islam, you name it. It's it's basically trying to convince somebody that your belief system is the belief system that they should have, and that's that's human nature for people to want to be accepted and for people to want to to kind of throw that lure out there and see who will not meaning to use like a fishing metaphor but who will take the bait and who they can actually you know try to convert and you know the christians call it convert and everybody you know it's a conversion into a certain ideology well the most powerful thing i think that you can ever do is not convert to anything and what i mean by that is go out and do your own research, your own gathering, your own soul searching, and then find out where you lie on certain issues. I would say about six years ago, if you would have asked me what I was, I would say that I would be a conservative Republican. Now, if you ask me what I am today, I consider myself more of a, a voluntarist, and I do things and make political statements in order to persuade people to do the things that that I believe are societally correct or social not socially acceptable because a lot of them are against the social norm but what I believe are are the best ways to kind of govern humanity now you have different perspectives on how how much a f- force the state should have and all of these types of things but at the end of the day, what I've come to realize is having the monopoly of force and people in shiny shiny badges and uniforms creates a lot more trouble than it creates stability, especially the more power that the state gets, the less the individual has, and the more the individual is looked at as a target or um, as a lot of people like to call it food for the state. And what they mean by that is the state sees you as not an individual sovereign human being capable of making your own decisions. It sees you as part of the collective that it can just extract whether it's wealth, whether it's your time and service, or whether it's your mind and your mentality and your focus. Now, if you if you want to challenge me on the last statement, look at a country like North Korea. That is a country that is a military dictatorship, one of the last ones on the planet, and it operates as a pretty functional military dictatorship because the civilian population believes that that is the best way to go. Now, am I saying that everything about North Korea is great? No, but for that instance, there's a lot of different there's a lot of different things that go into a country like North Korea. First of all, the Americans always have hassled the North Koreans, and everybody's going to say, well, we don't want communism to spread. Listen, communism was made up by the banksters. We can get into that debate later. But it's a tool to collectivize people. And remember the people at the top, the ruling class, not the not the government that you see, the ruling mafia. 
the super elite of the world, the Rothschilds, the Rockefellers, the tax-free foundation people, the, the Gateses, those guys, they are looking for control of the population because they have their own agenda because, remember, they are the – they are the intellectuals, so they believe they have figured out a way for humanity to go on and kind of transcend, and that's where the transhumanist agenda comes in with people like Ray Kurzweil, and it's not that I don't like Ray Kurzweil because I think the guy's a brilliant man, and heck, I got one of his keyboards sitting right next to me. He was the, the first gentleman to create a keyboard that will actually mimic real piano sounds, and the way that he did it was pretty revolutionary by digitizing each of the notes on a Steinway piano and then by a pressure system having it replicated into into the piano. And this was, gosh, this was probably, I think my dad first got his first Kurzweil about, it probably had to be 15 years ago because I got mine when I went to college. So that was, ugh, I don't even want to say when that was. But anyway... I think I got my friend here on the line. I'm kind of digressing off into some stuff. But I do want to talk about my experience with the local police department. Let me pull up my buddy here. Jacob, is that you on the line? I'm on the line, man. I didn't know we were what? talking about music tonight. Oh, sorry, man. You know, sometimes you, you... We're talking about Martin guitars or Gibson acoustics if you want to. If you want to. <laughs> it's all good, man. How you I'm doing I'm doing great, man. I um I did want to get into two things before we started getting into some of the stuff that you wanted to cover with me. And um, now I did have a chance. Have you seen the movie Oblivion yet? Have you seen that? No, I haven't seen it yet. All right. Now, m my my wife said that all of her kids said it stunk. But if you understand, Oblivion. Any, who's, who's in that? Uh, Tom Cruise. So yeah, I did see that one. Yeah, I saw that movie. Okay, so not yep. to do spoilers or anything like that, but wasn't that a really prime example of what could happen in our dystopic future? And it's not really portrayed as dystopic, but couldn't something sure. like that happen? And and it really – I looked at my wife, and I was like – she looked at me, and I'm like, holy cow, you want to talk about the grid? That is it, son. That is the whole grid right there. Yeah, or, or uh, Elysium or any number of these yeah, dystopic novels. And I guess even before before that, you had, you know, people writing, you know, similar dystopic novels even before these movies. So these, these kind of thoughts have been out there for a while. Of this is kind of the natural progression. This is where people but see why things. Is that, but see, that's the one thing that confuses me is that is that we see this as the natural progression, and I get kind of confused. Right. I understand why it's like... This is what the media always pushes us as the natural – the natural progression is always enslavement of the population. I have never understood that. It's always, you know, here is here is what the future is going to be like, and it's going to be high-tech, and you're going to be able to, you know, basically beam yourself everywhere. But everybody's going to be a slave, and everybody's going to be watched and tracked and traced. Right. And, if you, and if you want to be just disappeared, you can just be disappeared. Right. And are people are people even recognizing that this is – the projected future when they're watching these things, are they literally so blind that they don't see like like that's that's where these authors and these writers are writing from that perspective. Like mm -hmm. even stuff like the Hunger Games, like so many people just miss the the underlining message. Like like mm -hmm. this is this is where things can actually progress to. Uh, and and who's driving this? Like is the author writing this as a caution? I think in most instances that's that's what the author is doing is trying to wake people up or, or say this is like a caution, like this is where 
things can progress to this bad of a nature if you let it allow it to. Yeah, and I think that, you know, being and not looking at it and breaking it down and, and trying to find out, not to say that there's a conspiracy among these movies, people, but when you look at the message that they're trying that, you know, when people produce movies like Elysium, and I haven't seen that one yet, I'm actually excited about seeing that, but I've heard that it's a big socialist movie, and I don't really care what everybody's, you know, predetermined judgments are when I go in to watch a movie. I'm going to go there to get well, entertained, and then I'm going to take away from it what I want to take away from it. But I think that the the thing that you could run into a challenge with is that people that that don't have a I guess a way of kind of oh what's the best way to describe this taking the data and then just compiling it and taking certain messages away from it because there's going to be an underlying yeah. message there's going to be the overtone and then there's going to be the subplots and I think a lot of people miss the subplots and like you said I don't know if it's a, you know, a warning shot, you know, across the bow to to the population, or if it's like, well, we've already decided that this is the way that humanity is going to go, which is what the transhumanists believe is like, well, we've already decided that this is the way that it's going to go. It's kind of like carbon tax. It's just like, well, we've already decided we're going to tax you. We just haven't figured out how to pass this stuff yet. We've already decided that we're going to do this. Right. Like, are they getting so lost in? Um instead of the small portions of this, or maybe like a character development, and then they're missing the big uh, subconscious meaning that's, that's you know, that's being being put forth. Like, I think I think the authors in the books are probably more accurate in being a cautionary tale, but you see these movies and the way Hollywood's going to produce it or spin it, because, you know, the people that are, you know, the leaders in that industry are going to be pushing it one way. I mean, we already mm -hmm. know you know, who's sort of running the show over there and how they don't accept. I mean, like that Aaron Russo thing I had you watch, he got basically kicked out of Hollywood. I don't know how people like Vince Vaughn and Aston Kutcher are going to last there. I don't really want to talk about Hollywood, but we are already, so. No, I mean, it's something. Those are the people that seem to be awake or are waking up a little bit over there, and I'm sure that their careers are up quickly. Well, I think that, I think that it's now become – and I'm starting to see this more and more, and I don't know if it's just my personal struggle or if this is a reflection of society, but I sense like more and more desperation of people that realize that all the things that that people like us, the quote unquote conspiracy theorists, like when I talk about you know that, hey the CIA overthrew you know uh, Mosaddegh and that was declassified and all this stuff and Confessions of an Economic Hitman he talks about it at nauseum. But when you bring that up to somebody, they're like, oh, our government will never do that. No, no, no. You don't understand. That's the CIA. That is not your government. You do not elect the CIA. You don't tell the CIA what to do. They have their own clandestine agenda. That's why they were created. Yeah, or something like the Michael Hastings things, which, which uh, I know you wanted to talk about at some point, but that mm -hmm. sounds like something out of a spy movie, too. Right, it does. And then what they what they came out well, let's go ahead and touch on that today. And so the the yeah. big the big kicker and I'll go ahead and read this article and remember guys for what it's worth, you know, this this comes from the smoking gun and here is what the um the article states. Now I don't Anyway, I'll, I'll give my breakdown after the article. I want to get your take first. But it says the family of journalist Michael Hastings is trying to get him into drug rehab at the time that he died in a fiery Los Angeles car wreck, according to the coroner's report released today. 
Hastings, 33, was speeding and apparently lost control of his vehicle, colliding with a tree in a, and across a grassy center median around 4.30 on June 18th. Death was rapid within seconds due to massive blunt force trauma induced by the rider. The L.A. coroner's report notes that Hastings' family told investigators that they were attempting to get Hastings into a detox since they thought he had started to use drugs again in the past month or so. Hastings was believed to have been sober for the past 14 years. Gee, I wonder what would drive you to start doing drugs again. Maybe the fact that like, the FBI was visiting you and then saying they weren't? All right, so continuing in the article, the brother told the coroner's investigator that he believed that Hastings is currently using DMT, and we'll get into what that does, a hallucinogen and, a, and medicinal marijuana, which he believes was prescribed for PTSD as a as a as a descent from the war, excuse me. What the hell? As anyway. Yeah. He had some time. He had some assignments in Iraq and Afghanistan. Right, and exactly, exactly, exactly. So in the assignments in Iraq, the toxicology revealed that a small amount of amphetamine was in Hastings' blood, which is consistent of possibly intake of methamphetamine, which was hours before his death. However, the amount detected was unlikely to have an intoxicating effect at the time of the incident. Additionally, marijuana was present in the blood, but that remains in the blood for 30 days, indicating it was taken hours earlier. Okay, whatever. Hastings' brother, who also told investigators um, about prior traffic incident during which the journalist collided with a pole several years ago, believed to be under the influence at the time, the reporter with a report of the dissent coming from the misuse of Ritalin. Hastings' coroner reported also ultimately institutionalized for rehabilitative care around 1999. While Hastings' history was not known to include, quote, attempts of suicide or idealization or, or adation, his brother said that his siblings were believed he was invincible, believing he could jump from a balcony and he would be okay. Hastings' brother added that he would, quote, would not be surprised if any stimulants were found in the residence, including cocaine. Now, after I butchered the shit out of that article, um, how much of this... How much of this are you going to put stock in? No, man, you you didn't you didn't butcher it. I think the person that wrote it had already butchered it. I mean, we're talking about the smoking gun to begin with, right? But yeah, it, that was, I think um, it's that this is like the, the only grammar of a fifth grader. <laughs> Sorry. Yeah. Yeah. It's sad that it's the only publication that's even investigating into this, and they're not doing that great of a job of investigating into it. I don't know. Obviously, his brother. And him didn't get along uh, to some degree, but it seems like a lot of speculation. They're using a lot of, uh, you know, believed and a lot of speculative words. And Well, you know from I mean, firsthand well, experience that the government would never come in with brown bags and try to set somebody up. Right. No, no, they don't. <laughs> They don't. They don't ever try to meddle with people's personal affairs if they're trying to enlighten the public. No. And I mean, so he's using PMT and he's using marijuana to deal with PTSD, and both of those things are effective drugs to do so. The guy apparently had been sober for 14 years, and I don't. People typically that are 
go that long or are pretty stable for that long. I don't know. Maybe, I, maybe that's just my own belief. Maybe I'm completely off. I, I guess the the main thing is that I don't know. I, I can't know for sure, and neither can this writer really know or his brother really know what was going on in that house. Nobody's ever going to really know what's ha- what yeah. happened to this guy. And no, that's only what's so sad. No. Yeah. 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 And that's what's so sad is that he – this. But what really gets me are the events leading up to the crash, where he sends out the encrypted email that says that I'm, you know, I'm being I'm being visited by the FBI. I'm going into hiding. I'm about to break a big story. And then I don't believe in coincidences that big. And just call me a conspiracy theorist if you want. I just call myself a realist. If he was investigating the head of the CIA, you know, they're. There are ways to get rid of people, and I know that that sounds really creepy here in America, but, I mean, let's face it, deaths of journalists is not uncommon on this planet. I mean, it's uncommon in the United States, especially investigative journalists, but all over the country, right, it's not, I mean, all over the world. Russia it's, or in the past Soviet Union or just throughout history, it's just something that isn't completely out of the question. No, and I think that that might be the naivete of the American public is to just want to believe the official story once again because it's easy. And I think that that's one of the things we run into here in America is that we've had everything so easy, and it's all first layer thinking. Is that they just want they just want to be able to. Um, it's kind of like the interaction I have with this guy, and I don't mean to go off on a tangent, but this is kind of to my point. It's kind of like an interaction I have with a guy at a um, an emissions place. And we were sitting there talking about what's going on in the world, and he's just like, man, I don't – and just just the atypical disconnected youth of about 23 to 25. I don't know what their deal is, but they're just disconnected from society. They don't really care. As long as they got a job, they're fine, which I guess is okay. I mean, live your life, but – but when he was he was talking to me about what was going on, I was like, "Dude, do you ever follow the news and you know and uh, what's going on over?" I think that was when Libya was getting you know their you know freedom bombs, their no fly zone over there. And um, I said, "Do you ever watch you know?" I'm like, "Do you ever follow news or anything like that?" He goes, "Well, he goes not really." I goes, "I got Direct TV in here." He goes, "So if I ever want to know what's going on, I'll just turn the news on." And I just basically put my hand on my head and I was like, "Oh God, yeah." So. Oh, so transitioning really quick. I was watching MSNBC last night. Do you have any idea what a neoconservative is or neo-confederate? Do you know what that is? Oh, neo-confederate? I have no idea what that is. But well, here, I mean, MSNBC. Here. I know that you know. Last time, last time we were talking about how basically they're labeling every libertarian a terrorist. I mean, that's just that's just obvious. Everyone knows that in there, yeah. and every libertarian. Every libertarian is obviously racist and a terrorist. I mean, uh, Alex Jones, yeah. all of them. We know Let's that. Let's see what was what was amazing is I was talking about this before. Is I was watching MSNBC and I was watching CNN and I was talking about, uh, and I got on a tangent about Lenny Kravitz and how much I respect his work and him as a person. But um, what um, what really got me was. I didn't really buy into the propaganda from from the Alex Jones portion of the world that thinks that MSNBC is always race baiting and CNN's always playing the race card also. And and don't let me poo-poo it everybody. Race is a is a real issue here in America, but I would like to worry about the I would like to worry about racial equality or white privilege or whatever you want to call it. I would like to worry about that after a private banking group stops loaning my government money and interest and then taking 
you know, $85 billion a month and monetizing debt and then tell us they're not doing it. Oh, by the way, the Fed is, the Fed's debt is up to, up to $2 trillion now of the U.S. debt. That's just it. Don't look over here where the trillions of dollars are being wasted. Just talk about how that guy's got brown skin and you have white skin. Correct. Correct. That's what they'd like. Right. Simple divide and conquer for humanity, but, you know, digressing a little bit. So I was watching MSNBC, and then I watched a clip of Rachel Maddow go after um, – and, and rightfully so. I mean, some of these voter ID things are just stupid. But they were going after this whole, like the whole state of North Carolina, basically saying that they want to shut out voters because, mo- and then their whole pitch was most college kids vote Democratic. Yeah. You think that most college kids that go to the government brainwashing institution for 12 years and then go to the college brainwashing institution for six years, you think they're going to vote Democratic? Maybe just a little bit. You know there was a there was a there was a saying one time and nobody get offended at this but I don't care if you do or not I'm going to go ahead and say it it's just a saying If you're if you're um let's see if you're under 30 and you're not a liberal you don't have a heart but if you're over 30 and you're not conservative you don't have a brain So it's not once again not me saying it but that's that's pretty true on par with what's going on here in the demographics that we're talking about. So anyway, this was going on last night on um, – I think this happened um, early this morning on MSNBC, and I want you to hear this. And and I don't know what this – it's like they're trying to brand um, libertarians, conservatives as um, – like we're trying to resist the almighty federal government like – like we're the Confederates and they're the big, you know, they're the big good guys up there trying to free the slaves or whatever they, you know, whatever they want to believe that the Civil War was fought over. So here you go. To be specific, what jo- Governor John Hickenlooper has done is mandated background checks for all private and online gun sales, the, the, the fascist that he is, and banned magazines that contain more than 15 rounds of ammo. These are very practical measures. Right. It is a testament to how high tempers run and just how much ground the NRA is unwilling to see that there are now recall efforts right. for some of the people that voted in support of these gun safety laws. Yeah, it's interesting. There's this sort of neo-Confederate thread that runs through the sort of gun, pro-gun movement and the NRA movement. And they believe in sort of tentherism and trying to pull back from federalism in everything but this. Because when a state decides that it wants to pass gun laws, they say, oh, no, 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 no. We won't even let a state decide its own gun laws. We're going to go in and up end and pull back anything that restricts gun ownership, and they'll go state by state and do that. They try to challenge it in states, even blue states like Illinois. So there's this sense that even states don't have the right to restrict gun use within their borders. The NRA will come in, helicopter in, and undo that. They're the ones coming in the black. Oh, that's what they do. They come in in the black helicopters. And, and let me ask you a question, MSNBC, and I think this is a fair point. I will let you guys – I will let you opt out of whatever gun laws you want to by state if we get to opt out of Obamacare. Sure. No, no, no. You can't do that because – no. See, it's very convenient for them to make it a state a state gun issue when the Constitution clearly states you have the right to bear arms and everybody says, well, they didn't have semi-automatic guns back then. Well, they had effing cannons back then, and you don't see it say – as civilian, you have the right to bear arms other than a cannon. Uh, you can't bury a cannon. I mean, come on. Just they, in, they fear. Go ahead. They fear what they don't understand, Jake. You know, they obviously 
our our ignorance of firearms. They don't they don't even understand that by limiting the number of rounds in a magazine, you're essentially you're doing nothing to really restrict someone from being effective with a firearm. I can change a magazine in under a second if I tape two magazines together and Correct. fashion it in the way that I want. I mean, they, and it's not the NRA that they should uh, that they're really attacking. It's the Constitution because the Constitution is is the real thing that guarantees you know the our capability to to own and and uh, carry firearms. I mean, it, I don't know. And well, it just it gets to a point where it's kind of sickening in the fact that we've got bigger fish to fry than sit here and go around the political Ferris wheel. Once again, we, you've got a you've got a law enacted by Congress which is completely unconstitutional. They called it well, it's a tax, and which you know once again you can't do that. But you know the Supreme Court says it's okay. You know with all their Monsanto judges and everything like that, with Clarence Thomas and those guys, you know uh, oh. Heaven forbid they uphold the law, but it, it really it really aggravates me in the fact that it's it's always about selectively it's it's about selectively going after issues, and then when you try to to make it um, an issue that they covet, it's it's blasphemous. It's like oh you can't attack Obamacare that's a federal law like well it's a federal law that it's a constitutional right it's a it's a natural right for you to bear arms well, but you're attacking that. that. I mean give me a break. Uh, so hey, let's jump into Egypt, man. I mean, I'm tired of dealing with MSNBC, but you know what? You guys make it really easy for me to um, to comment for like five minutes on my show. This is great. I mean, you do make it really, really easy. So well, um, you, yeah, you know, you know, the CEO of Comcast is best buddies with Obama anyway, so he's just you know doing whatever whatever Obama wants uh, them to be putting out. They're pretty much they're gonna just work on work on that for him. Try to try to try to make libertarians look like they're crazy. Racist or ignorant or gun owners as ignorant, but oh, really speaking they can of, to do that as much as they want, and th- their audience will buy in, I'm sure. But oh, speaking of conservatives, good. speaking of conservatives being racist, I um let me read this article to you, and um and I want to get your take on this. This is by Paul Krugman, which you and I both love. This guy, Captain Captain Keynesian, or yeah, Captain Keynesian economics. Here you go. So he says that Michael. Uh, Conskull has has an interesting and useful essay over at Wonk Blog about what conservatives don't get, namely their failure to appreciate that some problems are inherently public in nature and require public solutions. Well, that's that's fine. We can do it voluntarily. Uh, how unusual, however, I think is Michael has somewhat missed the point and engaged in a little bit of wishful thinking. His essay is excellent in the critique of libertarians, but most conservatives aren't libertarians, even if they use libertarian rhetoric now and then. Think about it. The most modern Republican Party may be a party of deregulation and low taxes, but it's also the party of social illiberalism. Some like Rick Santorum firmly believe that the government has no right to tell uh, tell business owners what they can do in the workplace, but has every right to tell ordinary citizens what they can do in the bedroom. William, Buck- William Buckley's God and Man at Yale, and a large part of the diatribe against the notion that colleges were teaching students about unemployment and how to fight it, but what Bunkley wanted was, in effect, for those colleges to get back to their proper role, which is religious indoctrination. Oh, okay. So rather than just indoctrinating to the state, you know, whatever. 
So we can argue that. In its heyday, the National Review was a staunch supporter of free markets, but it was also a staunch supporter of Jim Crow, which wasn't in the right of the white business owners to discriminate against blacks. It was also the system laws designed to protect white privilege. Once again, there's that term, white privilege. All of these make no sense if you think liberalism versus conservatism as a simple argument about size and role of the state. But it makes but it makes perfect sense if you can allow Corey Robin, who sees it as being an all-protection of the traditional hierarchy. For what is conservatism is, is a, med- a mediation on and a theoretical rendition of the felt experience of having power, seeing it threaded and uh, seeing it threatened and then trying to win it back again. See, if I get college-level words, I can actually read them. Yeah. I get, like that you want me, five-year-old you want me to jo- take a shot at that one, Jake, or? Jesus, I mean, holy crap. <laughs> For what it Maybe is, you might need, here, you read like the five-year-old. You read like the five-year-old writing, and I'll read the, the, the complex thoughts of Paul Krugman. What a douche. So anyway, <laughs> now, there are, now there are more libertarians out there, partially in the realm of economic bloggers, but have no real power base. Even when politicians claim to be libertarian, there are two telltale giveaways. The two R. Pauls, father and son, may be usually questioned in national security state, but they both have a remarkable tendency to cater to or employ white supremacists. What? What? No, 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 no. I'm dead serious. Make one mistake. The dude made one mistake. He didn't even make the mistake. He didn't even make the mistake. They kind of attribute that to Lou Rockwell, but he hadn't owned up to it. But that's whatever. Yeah. Right. And, and here you go. Here, here, here's, here's my favorite part, and this is where you're probably going to lose it. We might have to mute you because you might drop some F-bombs. There is a hatred of Keynesian economics has less, I think, to do with the notion that unemployment isn't a popular subject of policy than about the notion of shifting power from the economy's destiny away from big business and toward the elected officials. Remember, they're officials. They're elected officials. Why would we give these jokers more power? They can't even run the simple government they have got now. And it says, that was Kellogg's point that I learned about in Michael Kossel. So there's an interesting debate to be had about the proper extent of public sphere. It isn't a... but. That isn't the debate driving our politics. Our right or left-right split isn't nearly um, ideologic or innocent. Yeah, no kidding. When you write pieces like this, let me read that other part to you again. That was so nice. Um, where is it? Where's my favorite little part for you? Uh, anyway, oh here it is. The two Pauls, father and son, may usually may be unusual in questioning the national security state, but they both have a remarkable tendency to cater to and or employ white supremacists. This is bullface, just not not just a lie. I mean, it, you could say he employs. Come on, you know Ron Paul's a Nazi. You know deep down inside he's a Nazi. Jesse Benton was totally. Uh, you know, if you want to if you want to criticize him on Jesse Benton, do that all day. Um, isn't that isn't that what uh, his the dude that married his you know daughter right or something? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. It was it yeah. was a, he married a family member and it was that was just a yeah that dude. You know, if you want to if you want to question him on his judgment there, then I'll be it. I mean, he does cater to his family, but at least that's a little bit more understandable and more justified. This is just from this has no basis. <laughs> he's look, it's dude. Just, it's obvious, obviously, 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 he's white. Too, racist. True, okay. you know that. 
he's obviously yeah. white, so he's racist. Right, yeah. <laughs> it's like that, uh, what's the, what's the role models movie? You, yeah. She, you, you're racist. Yeah, right. exactly. Okay. <laughs> right. You're white, and you're what's uh, yeah. And what's amazing is that since since Obama's got the right pigment in his skin, and it's not that I'm bashing Obama anybody, but this guy is – look, I don't like any politician, much less a guy that here, – here, let me read this to you. I, I sent you this update. I don't know if you got it or not. But the Obama administration asked the Supreme Court to allow warrantless cell phone searches. So here we go. As – as if it's not enough for them to be spying on us and grabbing all of our data and then telling us they're not grabbing it. And then it comes out that they are grabbing it. And then, oh, well, we're sorry, but, you know, we, we keep it in this special place that, you know, it's called a data center. And we just run it through algorithms all day, and it's no big deal. I mean, it's just your private personal life. It's no big deal. So – and I did hear some uh, – there was a gentleman um, in that interview on CNN that I thought was really powerful where he talked about – there is – and it was Cuba Gooding Jr. He talked about your public life and your private life, and I think that that's what Americans really need to get through their head is that is that the NSA wiretapping and all of this stuff is not attacking your public life. When you go out in public, there is no perception of privacy. That's why they can have cameras all over the place and scanning you. Go ahead. Except for when you know we read about how police can just take your, your, your phones, right? I mean police can just take – take your cell phones and go through your mm-hmm. information, right? That's what this article is about, basically. But that's the whole point. When you're in public... There is no perception of privacy. Really mm-hmm. Right. Correct. And I still haven't even talked about my incident. Have you seen my video yet? Yeah. Oh, man. What a joke, wasn't it? Wasn't that a joke? Yeah, you know. Just one dude with two signs. That Obviously, like, that's three things. So you need three cop. You need a cop car for each item. The person. There was four at the, the at, the end, at the at the end of it. There was four, and and truth be told, there was a there was a guy that got out at the very end. And if you guys want to go um, watch the video, it's up on my YouTube channel. It's called uh, "We Are Not Cattle uh, Sine Wave." I haven't figured out the right format to upload to upload it so it shows up on. Um, on YouTube mobile, so if you're trying to access it on your mobile phone, you won't find it, so you'll have to go to your PC, but it's silly. I mean, I'm I'm waving a sign, and literally for 15 minutes, then I'll, I'll get into that in a second, but let's get into this really quick. I'm just all over yep. the place tonight. This is terrible. Yep. That's all right. Obama administration seeks to ask the Supreme Court to allow warrantless cell phone searches. If the police arrest you, do they need a warrant to rifle through your cell phone? The answer to that question is yes, but I'll continue reading. Courts have been split on that question. You mean the kangaroo courts have been? Last week, the Obama administration asked the Supreme Court to resolve this issue on the Fourth Amendment, allowing allows warrantless wireless searches. Oh, and rule that the Fourth Amendment allows warrantless cell phone searches. Oh, it just they make a rule, so it just it doesn't exist anymore. In 2007, and they always give like one stupid case. In 2007, the police arrested a man in Massachusetts who appeared to be selling crack cocaine from his car. The cops, probably flown in by the CIA, the the cops seized his cell phone and noticed that he was receiving calls from quote my house. They opened the phone and determined that the determined the number for the quote my house um, address. That led him to the man's house where the police found drugs, cash, and guns. The defendant was convicted, but on appeal he argued that access to the information on his cell phone was without warrant and violated his Fourth Amendment. Good for you, buddy. 
Earlier this year, the First Circuit Court of Appeals accepted the man's argument, ruling that the police should have gotten a warrant before accessing information on the man's phone. The Obama administration disagrees because their job is to absolutely gang-rape the Constitution. In the in a petition filed earlier this month and asking the Supreme Court to hear the case, the governor argued that the government argued that the First Circuit Court ruling conflicts with the rulings of several other appeals courts as well as the Supreme Court cases. Those earlier cases have been given the police broad discretion to search search possessions on a person who, of an arrested suspect, including notebooks, calendars, and pagers. The government contended that the cell phone is no different than any other object that might that the subject and suspect might carry. But the storage capacity of cell phones rise, or the storage capacity of cell phones rises raises the, the position that could be harder to defend. Our smartphones are increasingly, increasingly, increasingly contain. I haven't even started drinking yet. Increasingly contain everything in our digital lives: our emails, our texts, our our photographs, browsing histories, and much more. It's troubling if police had the power to get all that information without a warrant by merely arresting a suspect or probably just holding you in custody. On the other hand, Massachusetts case involved a primitive flip phone, but it was which which would make a, a bad taste ca- or bad test case. The specific phone involved in 2007 incident would likely did not have the wealth of information we store on our modern cell phones. It is arguably more analogous to the address books and pages the courts have already said the police can search. So Orson Kerr points out that if the Supreme Court ruled on the case, it will make the decision based on the facts that are atypical now and are getting more outdated by every passing month. So isn't that exciting? Can we have any freedom or privacy in this in the in the police state? Is that possible? Jake, are you there? Yeah, I'm here, man. I mean, can we have any? Yeah. It's, it's just, uh, they don't need much of a reason. I mean, they don't need much of a reason to link you to being a terrorist. They just use, that's that's the whole agenda is to use these arbitrary wars that, uh, you know, they can utilize this tactile, uh, you know, eventually go against the citizen, the citizens here. I mean, that's why DHS is, uh, they're, they're, they're trying to pass things to make DHS even bigger and local mm-hmm. Government are trying to pass things to, you know, get armored vehicles in towns where it's not necessary. I mean, yeah, that's a big guarantor. It's no, but remember, they've like, got the they got the freedom state movement up there, and they're a bunch of terrorists. <laughs> yeah, they're. the free state project up there, and they and the and the judge and the and the, I think it was the uh, the guy on the city council said that he was he was afraid of the free staters. Yeah, they. they the, I mean. Even in the Houston Free Thinkers, I saw Derek uh, from Man vs. Man posting something, you know, that that he recently went through that I watched today, where the their police department was just, you know, taking pictures trying to infiltrate the Houston Free Thinkers, and just, they're just monitoring these, you know, civil civil rights groups or these uh, anyone who's a proponent for individual rights. Uh, Anyone who's not going along with the the system they want, I mean, probably anyone who homeschools their kids, they're next. I mean, any, oh, any sort of thing. Like, yeah, that's a terrorist. Sure, that's that'll be that'll be on the list. That you know, they'll come up with new ones, but this is uh, the, this is what's in fashion for right now. 
Okay, quickly before we go to break, let me give everybody a rundown. If you haven't watched the video, please go watch it. And I'm not trying to make money on it. I just want people to see. I'm trying to illustrate the absurdity of the police state by being absurd. And so what I did was I took a um, – this is, this, is so, this is so evil what I did. I took a bullhorn. I took an American flag. I took a sign that says that we fund the terrorists, and on the back it says in Syria and in Egypt. And then I had a sign that says honk if you're awake. Pretty simple. And I'm not talking right. about awake. All accurate this. things at the time. You know, oh, at gosh. The time. Yep. So I put now, I pile this. So what the Egypt thing's get better, but the Egypt thing's getting better, but yeah, at the time they're all accurate things. You know. Mm-hmm. No, 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 and, and we'll get into the Egypt stuff in, in a minute. It's just it retarded. But um, yep. so so what happens is I go in. I go to this overpass. It's literally about five minutes from my house. And get out of my car. I park at the Waffle House, and I walk up the hill to get to the overpass. And I start holding up. This one sign's pretty big. You can't really tell on the video, but it was pretty pretty big. I could barely hold it from one end to the other. And I was basically trying to hold both of them at the same time. But smart me, I actually brought some rope just in case I couldn't hold them. I was going to secure one of them. So I held one of them over the edge of the interstate that was kind of big, and I secured it to the um, to the uh, oh, interstate. And then I held the other one over my head. So basically I'm holding two signs. Nobody can even see who's holding the sign. The actual really cool part of it was after being out there for about um, probably about half an hour, about um, 15 cars honked. So that was pretty cool. About one out of every hundred honked, and it was it was really nice. So so it starts getting really windy, and I'm like, I can't hold these. I can't hold both of these banners anymore. I'm just going to hold the one, the small one. So I cut the um, I cut the restraints off of the the one banner, and I basically stick it on the ground next to the uh, to the interstate, and I'm just sitting there holding the other one. And and I'm turning and I'm starting to hold the other one as uh, oncoming traffic comes or not oncoming traffic but I'm obviously on the um, on the interstate on the overpass so there's traffic going next to me so I just hold it so they can see it and then I see a cop come up and flip a U-turn I'm like uh here we go so he comes up to me the guy was really really nice so I will give him props on that really nice he's like hey you can't hold the um you can't hold the sign over the overpass and i said well what what law did i break he's like well you can't hold it he's like you can't secure it to the overpass i'm like so if i held it i was okay and none of this is on camera he's like yeah if you were holding it it were okay i'm like so it's the string that makes it illegal and he's like yeah so i don't think you really knew that Knew that like down to the T, like he knew that law to the T. He'd encountered it possibly. I don't know. Whatever. So I, I'm not there to debate these guys because once again, you, you're not going to win that debate with a. You, you're just not. So. Right. And I didn't feel like ha- it was hot as balls, and I didn't really feel like. Yeah, I thought you were Yeah. So, <laughs> so I'm sitting there and I talk to the guy, and as I'm talking to him, and this is a Gwinnett County cop. A state patrol person pulls up. So he's like, let me get your name. And I'm like, he's like, you got an ID on you? I go, absolutely not. Why would I have an ID on me? <laughs> he goes, I don't need this. I don't need an ID for this. No. I said, I said, I'll identify myself. He's like, what's your name? I'm like, my name's Jake. He's like, what's your last name? I'm like, I've identified myself. 
He's like, well, you did have an infraction, so I can cite you for that, or you can give me your last name. I'm like, all right, here we go. So I gave him my last name. He's like, let me go, let me go see what checks out. I'm like, all right. Yeah, let me see. Well, we already got you on the list, but hold on. Let me. Let me just make yeah, sure exactly. Make sure I'm on the, <laughs> sure I'm on the short list. Yeah. So I'm on the short list, evidently. So the guy goes to his car, and by that time, he's already talking to the state guy. And as they're com- as they're conversing, another state patrol person drives past me and sees all this stuff. And so another Gwinnett County cop pulls up next to him, gets out, and they all start talking. And they come over to me, and he's like, all right, man, you know, like we're going to – and all that stuff's on film, the encounter with him. And yeah. then the one state cop was really nice, and he was like, hey, he's like, hey, I didn't even get to talk to you. I'm like, oh, hey, man, I'm out here you know, supporting the First Amendment. I'm like, grab a sign. And he's like, well, we just don't want anybody to be hurt and all this other stuff. So I can completely right. understand that soon. Yeah. The other cops were saying it was a safety concern because people would be looking at the sign. Well, correct, because they don't look up at, at exit signs point. and they don't look up at at, um, at billboards. You know, they don't they don't do that. That's even better point than billboards. Yeah. I mean, the, nobody ever stares away from the roadway when they're driving. Nobody ever looks at a cell phone. Or, but what was interesting is I was sitting there thinking, and I was telling my wife, I'm like. You know what's funny? If I would have been holding up a sign that said, we'll work for food, which is actually illegal, it's panhandling, that they would have driven right by me. Probably. Oh, yeah. Then they more likely. Right, yeah. And I don't mean to call out the cops because they were if, – if you watch the video, they were really nice, and, and I and I, um, yeah. you know, I thank them in the video for, for supporting the First Amendment. I'm just – I was just really glad that the last guy, because I saw him get out of the car, and he was kind of bugging his eyes out, and I was like, oh, I do not want this guy up here. Because he was the, the first one. Yeah, if he was the first one, that would have been um, – I would have had to have cameras rolling like right away. But I didn't feel threatened or anything by the first cop, which was good. And like I said, he was really nice and everything. So, But like I said, the video is up if you guys want to go check it out. It was a lot of fun to just get out there and do something. And and the reason that I did that, and, and I don't know if it's going to have a huge effect or anything like that. I really don't care if it has a huge effect. But to me, there is something to be said, and I want to get your take on this, Jake. Is there something to be said about a man physically being out there holding up a sign? What do you mean? Like appealing to the psyche. Like somebody is that upset that they're going to make a homemade sign and come out here and stand here and just hold the sign up. Because I I feel that that would be more... I guess more of a of a shock to people in this day and age just to see somebody out there holding a sign in general, you know, that's not like two pizzas for $5 or something. I think that that's right. more shocking to see somebody out there holding a sign that says, hey, we fund the terrorists. They're probably like, what the hell is this guy talking about? I mean, right. that's that's what I was trying to get across is that the time for Facebook activism and all the other stuff, that's done. Yeah, right? That's just what I was thinking you were going down. I mean, yeah, you get so many uh, keyboard libertarians, as they're called, or you get so many uh, people doing activism on blogs or online because it's so convenient. But to actually have someone in today's age get off of their rump and actually get outside and, like, do what you did and sweat, and even if it's just holding a sign, that sticks out so much more in today's information age than uh, mm-hmm. than anything else, you know, than, than just putting, posting on a blog that, you know, two people will see. I mean, it's actually, you think that it's so much more effective uh, to, and you get a more uh, thought out, you know, maybe a more thought out message online, but right. yeah, it's, it's, 
it's something that someone will actually start talking. Oh, and I saw a guy with a sign. He was holding the sign that said this, and that actually might open up a dialogue to someone besides just the same group of people that see our libertarian things that follow the same libertarian things that every other libertarian does already. You know. Correct. I, I'm actually done with the megaphone libertarians. I'm done with you guys. I mean, I, I like you. I, I I love you. I respect where you come from. But we don't need to megaphone everything. It's not like. You don't need to get on Facebook and everybody megaphone libertarianism because it, people are people are done with that. Either they've understood libertarianism and they've embraced it, or they've understood the the non-aggression principle and embraced it, or they're just completely not going to listen to what you have to say. And that's why I, what I was talking about before, where the tactics that we use to engage people need to be different. Right. And we do need right. to, we do need to go to break here. I got um. I got a song for everybody. This will be a very nice little break here. Jake, um, gonna have about six minutes, so do what you gotta do, man. And um, if I, right. I do want to get into the Egypt stuff, but uh, I'm gonna take a break and go get myself some more tea. So everybody, enjoy the song. This is uh, Imagine Dragons. This is probably not um, this is probably not kosher with the Blog Talk Radio people, but oh well, life sucks. <laughs>
Yeah, you back? Jake, are you there? Yeah, we're back. Hey, kind of an oxymoron that the song's called Nothing Left to Say, but then we got a whole nother hour of show, so sorry about that, everybody. <laughs> yeah, no, no. That's how I feel, you know, after reading a lot of this stuff, and we're just kind of all over the place today, but there's just so much stuff going on. And I just want to get back to sort of what we were talking to before the break was mm-hmm. just how it's so important to not just be keyboard libertarians and not just it's a good source of information to find all these articles that leave us with nothing to say. Mm-hmm. Um, but we really need to get the information out there and reposting that's really not people aren't gonna read it. They're just gonna say, Oh, you know, well that's just a crazy article but if we actually engage in dialogue or go out there in the real world with a sign or something like that, that's actually right. going to initiate a real conversation, a real dialogue, a real uh evolution of consciousness. So and what I really forgot to um, to mention was the the coolest part of the cops coming over is uh, all of them wanted to see my signs. They're like, what are you holding up? And I'm like, this one and this one. And they're like, oh, cool. All right, take it easy. So it's not like that they looked at me like I was some kind of nut job, which was kind of kind of interesting. So it means that they understand that, you know, once again, it, it's, it's really hard – yeah, well, no, I think that they know. I, mean, I think that there's a lot in law enforcement that understand what's going on with the federalization of law enforcement, and they, I don't think that a lot of them like it. Of course, you're going to have that one little segment of the population that was the guy that, you know, is is on the force just because he wants to, you know, kind of like Eric Cartman, respect my authority kind of deal. But you know, I think that a lot of them join the force for for good reasons, and it's not to write tickets and revenue generate. It's to go out there and do a public service. I mean, what are your yeah, thoughts? Yeah, that's, that's that's what they're supposed to be doing. But I mean, this the sentiment just ultimately boils down to oh, I'm just doing my job, right? And it's just not the it's not the way to properly mentally construct that because your job, you know, this is a free market. It doesn't have to be. Doesn't have to be that uh, you don't you know and you can enact yeah and that's even what, from and that's what I remember you guys talking about the one guy that you, you when you uh, when you were involved in that raid the, the one guy yeah, you were you all were hammering it, on that I know you're talented at something I know there's there's something that you're actually passionate about that you'd rather be doing and and like I always say even if you are passionate in that there's other avenues you know you can train people on how to use firearms, you can uh, be a part of a private security force, you can, there's free markets alternatives, you know. And big shouts out to Abita Strawberry Harvest Lager. You guys do make a fantastic ale. And I've actually switched over. I think um, that'll improve my reading. After after the last segment, I was, um, the tea just wasn't cutting it for me, man. I think I need to relax. I think I'm too wound up. Even though I'm drinking de-stressed tea, it's still I'm just yeah. I get wound up about this stuff, man. I, I get I, I'm sorry. This stuff gets me wound up. It's it's annoying. It's like does any does anybody else we get gotta, upset? We gotta waste stop wasting all the time on a race too. That's what MSNBC wants us to do. We got to, we gotta oh, cut yeah, that yeah. out. All right, so let's then, get into something we'll that really more hey, fun. let's. Let's get into something that really matters. Let's talk about Egypt. There we go. Yeah, All right, let's so here, let's, let's set the stage. Okay, so how did Egypt turn into the giant cluster you-know-what that it is? Well, we're going to start um, – let's start with the the removal of 
Hazi Mubarak back in 2011. Now, Hazi Mubarak was a dictator installed by the West and was a good ally of the United States government. Now, what happened was the United States government has wanted to get rid of Muammar Gaddafi for years. Even in um, David Rothkopf's book, um, Superclass, which was written back in, I think, like in 2000, and I want to say 2002. I've got it like right next to me. I'll pull it up here in a second. But they talked about wanting to off Gaddafi then because Gaddafi was toying with the notion of trading oil in something other than U.S. dollars, and you don't do that to oh, a global God. empire. Mm-mm. Global empire mm-hmm. does not enjoy that. So they wanted the foothold in Egypt so that they were going to be right near Libya to be able to do their bombardments and freedom bombs and whatever kind of you know news speak we're going to use now. Liberate the hell out of them, yeah. Oh, we liberated them big time. Yeah, we liberated yeah. them for something good. So anyway, so the United States um, – first Mubarak has a um, – First, there's an uprising by the Muslim Brotherhood. Then Mubarak gets sick, and then he disappears, and he's gone. So nobody knows what happens to him. He's like he had a stroke. He he died. He had a heart attack. It was just mass disinformation everywhere. So now what's happened is that the Muslim Brotherhood had they had elections there. They democratically elected a leader of the Muslim Brotherhood, and not the best Give guy to have it. Hmm. Conveniently, right. Yeah. Conveniently. Not the best guy to have in charge. He's crucifying Christians. He's he's basically anybody that's not a of Muslim descent, they're going out and, and and basically not letting them have freedom of religion. You know, crucifying the Christians, going after the um, the minority sects of the um of the Muslim nation, you know, all of the all of which are not the uh, radical Muslim Brotherhood, and not to be, you know, I'm not being racist. That's just who they are. They're 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 a radical facet of of Islam, much like Al Qaeda, which we also fund them too. So, anyway, he he wins the election. Um, Morrissey wins the election. Uh, he's in power for a while, and then there's a giant pushback from the Egyptian populace. Correct? Am, am I am I getting all these data points correct here, Jake? Yeah, from uh, from what I'm reading, uh, yeah, the Brotherhood and the ousted government of uh, Mohammed Morsi and his supporters. So yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. It's, okay, so he's aligned with them. Yeah. Okay, so when the Egyptian populace says that they don't like them persecuting Christians and all these other things, so they have a gigantic protest. And so it handcuffs the the military of Egypt to say, well, it's either we let three or 30 – I think it was 30 million. I'll I'll research while you comment. I think it was 30 million people marched, and they're like, listen, we're either – you're either out of here because we can't stop 30 million people. This will be absolutely – this will be just a a cakewalk and and just a catastrophe. So – so basically handcuffed the military, the military removed for Morrissey, and now the military has been in power, and they've been fighting the Muslim Brotherhood, which you know CNN calls them protesters, but yet they throw like Molotov cocktails and start shooting at police and just peaceful protesters. You know that's what protesters do. But in America, if you protest, you you get you know even if you're doing it peacefully, you get beat in and and then get hauled away. So because that's freedom. So that's where we are now. So, Jake, what are your comments on this? And then I'll read some of these um, 
some of the reports of the Saudi Arabian government backing the military and now the United States government, as usual per the last four years, is in complete disarray. You know, Barack Obama is really good when it comes to taking the Constitution and wiping his ass with it. But when it comes to actually doing leadership stuff, that whole leadership council that they have falls on their face. It's like they don't want it's kind of like the it's kind of like the the Jimmy or the um the John F Kennedy where nobody really wants to make a big step. They all just kind of piddle around and kind of wait for something to happen, which is what I think happened in Benghazi. They were all just kind of like, "Well, let's just wait and see how this plays out." Oh, shit. Oh, he died? Oh, that's not good. I, I don't know. I'm not the big conspiracy theorist on Benghazi, but if it comes out that I'm wrong, phew. And believe me, I don't want to be wrong on that. But anyway, go ahead, Jake. So let's continue with the um, with the uh, Egypt. Yeah, do you want me to just comment on on the Saudi Arabian uh, yeah, aspect please, of it? Yeah, please, please do. Kind of... Yeah, so Saudi Arabia yeah, wants to back the military. So go ahead. Yeah, there's there's a New York Times article that I had found uh, called Saudi Arabia promises to aid Egypt's regime by Rod uh, Nordland, and basically what he's stating. And pointing out that I took away from it was that it really didn't matter how much money we're throwing in aid or in in whatever capacity we were throwing at to try to help Egypt out in in dealing with you know establishing a democracy uh, mm-hmm. over there because Saudi Arabia is basically writing blank check. I mean they mm-hmm. announced that. Uh, they had a $12 billion rescue package that they're going to send in economic grants uh, compared to the U.S., which was only sending, you know, $1.5 billion, and the EU that was sending $1.3 billion. And the yeah, $1.5 is over, is over a full year, so it's not like it's not all – it's not all at once, and it's all due at the end of September, which is the end of the fiscal year. So that's why you've got this big cluster you-know-what of people trying to figure mm-hmm. out where this money goes. So continue. Right. And and finally, people are are just now, and and even, you know, Obama's saying that they're, they're finally going to pull out aid. I mean, they're finally going to stop aid. Well, no doubt, if, if someone is investing that much, and Saudi Arabia, you know, rightfully so, they're afraid of this Muslim Brotherhood, uh, you know, rise for their own for their own reasons. They're over there, you know, and it's it's the you know a little non-interventionalism might pay off here in this in this sense. You know, the, the neighbors are gonna they're gonna figure it out. They can they can certainly uh, you know figure this out and and help each other out as as good neighbors should. And and it seemed like I saw some things also earlier today that people were posting like where. Muslims are protecting Christians, allowing them to pray, and vice versa. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so there's there's some good humanitarian things that are happening within the country as well. But it just seems it seems so ridiculous to be throwing the type of money we're throwing over there when you know you've got a country like Saudi Arabia that's so oil rich and 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 has the type of government they have where they can just write whatever size checks they want wherever they want and don't have to answer to a populist. But it doesn't seem too too different than what happens here, but, you know, it's <laughs> different. But. I thought you were about to say we're pretty much one and the same now because we yeah, really pretty, are. Pretty much. Yeah, it's getting, yeah, yeah, pretty much it's the same. Uh, so, anyway, that's that's my take on it, and it's, it just seems crazy. It seems interesting. 
Well, it's it's interesting how these how these geopolitical. Well, it's interesting how these geopolitical things play out. Typically, when you look at 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 the Middle East, which has always been basically a powder keg, especially now, it's starting to look even more and more like a powder keg. Where you have an actual civil war in a country like Egypt, and then you have um, and then you have our government funding the the radical Islamists and funding Al Qaeda over in Syria to try to topple Assad and and do the same thing that they did over in Egypt basically and what we're what we're seeing here is something that I want to kind of bring back home to the American public and that is when you see civil wars and when you see countries falter or when they even become frail you are you have to be cautious of the power vacuum because the power vacuum will always be sucked up by radicals, whether it's a um, like over in um, I think it was over in gosh I want to say Hungary but I think I'm wrong on that one. It might have been Czechoslovakia where they have had a big rise in the in the Nazi Party because there was a power vacuum over there. So the big radicals, you know, those are the ones that are going to rise up. It's the same thing that happened over here. You've got you've got a um, a leader that was you know basically removed by the West. And now you have a power vacuum which was created, and of course, the radicals that were against the last regime are going to be the ones with the biggest voice, and they're going to be the ones that stand up the most. And so they're going to get their leader in. It doesn't necessarily mean that they're the best fit for that nation and how to be governed. Now, particularly for me, I don't have anything wrong with a with a soft dictatorship because I just – I mean, you see what democracy looks like over in the Middle East, and it's not pretty because they haven't gotten they haven't gotten things sorted out. In America, it works because everybody's kind of like everywhere. You know, we're just a big melting pot, and and, and a republic works because everybody kind of goes by the law of the land. But over there, it's going to be it's going to be completely different. And and I don't think that Americans really understand why you can't just go over to a country that's been doing something or have had you know rifts with another culture for hundreds and thousands of years to go over there and just say, well, you're just going to do it this way now. Good luck to you. And then we leave because that's what we did. Right. And you think that there, I mean, there's, there's nationalistic tendencies in the U.S. We see that every day when you just talk to people. You don't think there's nationalistic tendencies in these nations over in the Middle East? Like, of course there are. And they, and in this article, he kind of talks about how one individual was interviewed by, in the article, he said, I would rather lick the floor than take aid from America said uh, Mahmoud uh, Salama, uh, the businessman from Cairo. And he's, he's basically saying that he's, it's understandable that Saudi Arabia is, is getting involved because they're their neighbor. There's, there's like over, there's millions of people that work in Saudi Arabia and come back mm-hmm. over to Egypt. I mean, mm-hmm. there's, there's a relationship there. There's a trade relationship there. And if they don't stabilize stuff, then yeah. And if they don't stabilize stuff, then the tourism industry will will basically topple in Egypt, and that's that's what's going to hold that whole country together. Correct? Sure. Yeah. So it's just really it's really it's really sad to see what government intervention does, and and not saying that 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 we are right or wrong, but anytime that you meddle in foreign affairs, gee, there was. Some guy about you know two hundred years ago that said that we shouldn't meddle in foreign affairs and just should have relationships with other countries and not have any other. Like the first president or something. Yeah, some some old guy with a white wig with a powdered wig. I don't right. remember what his name was. Whatever. Right. He's just some old dude. The Constitution's old anyway. Just get rid of it. It's old. <laughs> it's so silly. 
I hate people with that argument. It's like it's the youngest document that's ever been created that's governed by. Nah, well, it's just it's it's outdated. All right, go ahead, buddy. So on to some more um to some more fun news. You ready for this? Let's talk about um sure. let's talk about some stuff on the home front. Now this is when you know, ladies and gentlemen, if you have thought about voting for Chris Christie, break your digits and don't do that because I have some fantastic information for you. And that is none other than Jabba the Hutt himself, Henry Kissinger, is now endorsing Chris Christie. So if there can be a bigger establishment figurehead than Henry Kissinger that says that we can achieve a new world order but it doesn't exist and all this other crap, let me read from um, the National Review. And once again, this is from the National Review, so take it with a grain of salt. Um Former Secretary, and I'm skipping in the article just because I I love to bash Chris Christie because you're just you're you're so not a Republican and so not conservative. Former is he Secretary, human? Is he human? Uh, who knows, oh, man? I don't know. Who knows? <laughs> they probably shut down the salad bar when he shows up. That was wrong. I shouldn't say that. That's his physical appearance. He probably can't no. What you, you should say is that anyone that can stare a father in the face that has like a pretty much dying daughter and say, oh, that's a complex issue when he's just looking for medicine for his child. <laughs> then, then that's when I question whether that individual is, are you a cyborg? Are you, do you really even, are you capable of having any sort of emotion? And it wasn't that he needed like higher THC to get the girl high. He needed, he needed higher cannabinoids in order to, you yeah, know, cannabinoids, curb yeah. So stupid. People get educated on marijuana. That stuff is not a drug. It is a plant that heals you. Just get over yourself. And if you're still of the old school thinking, then I can't really help you because you're going to refuse all the research that's out there. So it doesn't really matter what I tell you. So anyway, just do the research for yourself. And like I said, I support medicinal marijuana until the until the cows come home because I know that it works. I know that it has effects, and I've met people that use it, and it's the only thing that works for them. So Whatever. Anyway, back to the slumlord himself. Former Secretary of State Henry Kissinger, who encouraged Chris Christie to run the last years in the interviews, in an interview, he tells me Christie remains a top-tier candidate for the Republican presidential nomination, vowing to his willingness to wade into foreign policy and be able to broaden the Republican coalition. He says, quote, we f- we friendly and I think extremely highly of him, and he knows I would be delighted if he came. He became a national candidate. He says, conservatives should recognize his long term potential. What does that mean? Chris Christie's work <laughs> with Obama during during the storm, he acknowledges, might not have been the high point of his political career, but. I was never angry about seeing him do what he needed to do for his state and his reelection. There you go, Henry Kissinger. Now you're really coming out and telling people what you think. It's all a game, and he knows that Chris Christie is going to play ball with the police state. He's going to play ball with the wars. He's going to do it all. So, hey, let's just go ahead and vote Chris Christie. How about Chris Christie and um, Hillary Clinton in 2016? What do you think? I think it's perfect. I mean, if if anyone needs will need medical, you know, free medical or or more health care, it will be him because he's such a shining example of perfect health. No, but I mean, remember they admitted. Metric. No, no, no. 
No, but they omitted themselves from the yeah they omitted themselves from Obamacare because Nancy Pelosi said that there would be a flood of people to the free market or to the uh, to the private sector. We just can't have that. There's too many good people in government. We just can't have them fleeing to the private sector. You know, oh that evil private sector. Terrible. That's not. Yeah, the private sector competition isn't what drives prices low. Don't listen to Rand Paul or or his father. You know they're completely they're they're batshit crazy. Um, oh, absolutely! Remember they're racist. And they're, and, and, yeah, it's obviously anyone you know anyone who uh, is opposing oh, uh, Obamacare is racist. But yeah, Christie's he's just he's not going to get uh, funding from regular everyday people. That's for sure. I mean, no one's going to send him campaign dollars other than these extreme elitists and corporations because they know that he's just the perfect you know, ignorant puppet that will just, you know, go with whatever agenda they want to push. Well, it's not even he's a puppet. I think that he's a Democrat. Like, he's a Democrat in Republican yeah, clothing, if you look at him. Yeah, I don't, I agree. Yeah, he's, I don't see how he, I don't, I don't know how he got that label of, of a Republican at all. No, oh, well. No, well. I mean, once again, another distraction. That is a big distraction, and pun definitely intended on that one. Okay, so moving on, how about this one? Welfare recipients can now earn more than teachers, and this comes from this comes from um, Ben Swan's website. I'm a big fan of his. Does yeah, actual, he's awesome. Does actual journalism, and it said a new study by the Cato Institute, you know, a group of terrorists, you know, think tank, a public policy think tank, found that. Some welfare recipients make more income than those in the private sector. Oh, you don't say. A mother with two children in New York, for instance, is able to collect $38,004 per year on welfare handouts. It is greater than the starting salary of a teacher in that state. Yeah, there's nothing wrong with that. And the problem is not limited to New York. Cato found that in many states that give handouts with sums greater than what the workers would earn in the private sector. Hence, no reason to work because the government will take care of you. According to the study, Hawaii is generally the most generous with benefits with a mother of two eligible can earn up to $60,000 per year. Are you, are you kidding me? Are you no, dude. kidding me? Dude, bankrupt, bank, no, bankrupt America, man. They're right on track. And for those of you that think that I'm kidding, yeah, just hold on to your britches for the next two years. And then after you've probably told 15 people about my podcast in two years after America started to crumble, then uh, maybe we can start to incite some real change. And I'm not meaning to be arrogant, everybody. I just get so tired of people not understanding what's going on here. This is a destruction of the American – yeah, the one American. step to the dollar. Yeah, see ya. This is this this is just ridiculous. The study also the currency. No, dude, I mean, no, they don't do that. Look, the national better. debts the national debt's been the same for like eighty seven days. Everything's fine. I mean, we haven't <laughs> spent a dollar in eighty seven. <laughs> dude, everything's great. So continuing in the article, the study pointed out that the least generous states, the mother of two in Idaho. The state that came in dead last is only eligible for $11,000 per year. Perhaps the most unsettling fact was 33 states, the welfare, welfare recipients, make more than they would at an $8 per hour job. In fact, in 12 of those states, welfare recipients would make more than they would at a $12 an hour job. Where is the incentive to work? Michael Tanner, the senior fellow at the Cato Institute, and he's a senior thought criminal then, 
There's no evidence that people on welfare are lazy, but they're also not stupid. If you pay them more than it is to work by them – well, excuse me, pay them more not to work than, it, than they can earn by working, many will choose not to work. Yet, duh. Oh, yeah. welfare, welfare programs have ballooned since the former president, Lyndon B. Johnson, who I am related to, but I don't claim that, declared a war on poverty. Since then, a whopping $15 trillion has been sent on these programs to help the needy. Yep, uh, here we go. And now 83 welfare programs combined to represent the largest federal expenditure. In 2011 alone, one point zero two eight trillion dollars that would be that would be 1028 billions was spent on welfare payments clearly there needs to be a safety net in this country for those who need a hand up but welfare has gotten completely out of control that's terrorism Kristen. how dare you write that how dare you write that about the bankrupting of this great country meanwhile all the elites shift all their stuff over to china and get their stuff offshore and tax-free foundations, and then they say raise our taxes, but everything's fine. So, what are your comments, man? Why don't you hey, Why don't you just have a couple of kids up there in um, up there in Wisconsin? You can probably make about fifty grand a year. Come on. I don't know what the state is here, um, but Hawaii sounds pretty nice. You know, sixty grand I, for two I, kids. It's pretty so money. Go surfing so every day. Like a- Safety net to me, it sounds like a, a sleep number bed or something. I don't know. <laughs> Jeez. Dude, Dude, I I, I, I I get to use that. I have to use that right. next time. Yeah, that's what it seems like. I mean, Idaho seems pretty rough. I better be planting some potatoes or something, but I'll probably have to declare that, you know, and get a license for that or something. Thing. I don't know. <laughs> Four um, cop cars will show up if you wave a sign, but if you take sixty thousand dollars in taxpayer money for not working, everything's a okay. <laughs> what a what an effed up country we live in. What an effed up country it, we live in. It seems surreal. It seems surreal. But good job by this Kristen Tate. It looks like she worked under Stossel, which is obviously somebody who I dig as well. I love that that's about one of the only programs I'll watch on television as well. He's got the second best mustache on television, next to Geraldo. Yeah, yeah, Geraldo, right up there. Yeah. Mm. Not a big fan of Geraldo, though. (laughs) Okay, so here's here's another one for you. Here's another one, and then we'll get into the Fukushima, the Fukushima news. Which anybody that followed that story when it came out. Once again, the government never lies to you, everybody. The government always tells you the truth, whether it's a foreign government or your local government. Everything's fine. Remember, there's no asbestos raining down in 9-11. None of that's real. Go back to sleep. Take off your mask. Everything's fine. So, you know what? Let's go ahead ahead and cover this. Let's go ahead and cover this. Timco admits a leakage of 300 tons of water with a monstrous radiation level. But don't worry, the jet stream or whatever it's called, the um, the um, the water, um, god darn it, the the Gulf Stream actually takes it all the way across, or the jet stream takes it all the way across to America and then dips it down into um, into Texas, just barely missing Georgia and South Carolina. By the way, but um, but all of the all the water will end up in um, California and in um, Seattle. So enjoy everybody. So it says another tank. We'll go down to Australia as well, isn't that? Yeah, mm-hmm. down there, that's right? correct. Yeah. Yeah. How dare you be informed? Yeah. 
Uh, Another tank of highly radioactive water at the devastated Fukushima nuclear power plant has leaked, reported operator Tempco. Oh, so we can trust those guys because they never lied about the original spill or anything. The contaminated water contains an unprecedented unprecedented 80 million barcules barcules, um, of radiation per liter. Uh, the norm is mere is is a mere 150, so 80 million as opposed to 150. A spokesman for the Tokyo Power Company, TEPCO, said on Tuesday that 300 tons of highly radioactive water has leaked from the stainless steel tank on the territory of the Fukushima and Fukushima nuclear power plant. Japan's Nuclear Regulatory Authority has classified the leak as a a uh, level one incident, the second lowest in the international nuclear event scale for, radio- for radiological releases, the spokesman informed Reuters. The incident is the first level one since the actual catastrophe or the actual catastrophe at Fukushima in March of 2011, where Japanese authorities issued an INS INES rating. Level one means the incident is classified as a Anomalous situation. Huh? So what? I'm sorry. Go ahead. A situation that exceeds the limit of safe functioning of the of an installation. The most dangerous is a level seven, which has only been applied twice for Chernobyl catastrophe in 2008 and the meltdown of three reactors in the Fukushima plant itself. And let's see how much longer this is. Oh, it's not too much. I'll go ahead and finish it up. Release of the radioactive energy um, in the measures of barnacles. I guess that's how you say those. You probably should have looked that up. The radioactive decay um, collusion events, uh, collision events occur per second happening in a certain volume of material. The internationally accepted normal radiation level of is 150 barnacles. According to Timco's own measurements, the puddle that formed around the damage leak emanating a radiation of 100 millisieverts per hour as the probe was taken about half a meter from the water pool, said um, the Kodo News. A, do- a dose rate was measured in s- servants indicates that how much radiation a person could or sieverts indicates how much radiation a person could receive standing near the source of the radiation. Typical re- release of the radiation is generally taken at one millisievert per year. One millisievert per year. But exposure for the limits of the nuclear industry personnel is much higher. Still, an hour near the puddle of radioactive water is equal to five years of total radiation exposure. Holy crap. Even for Temco staff deployed at Fukushima site. Oh, you remember those guys that they called them the Fukushima 500? Yeah, they're all dead. Uh, Temco has to keep the melted uranium rods and three destroyed reactors awash from water with jerry-rigged system only to keep the melted debris cool and relatively stable. So it's, oh my God, this is such a powder keg. This is nuts. The establishment of a closed cylindrical process, the operator stores huge amounts of radioactive water at the Fukushima facility. It is believed that overall there can be more than 350,000 tons of radioactive water stored in the Fukushima plant in special tanks and drainage system without special protection in the basements of the devastated facility. At the beginning of 2013, Tempco drained most of the basement galleries, pumping the radioactive water into newly delivered tanks. 
Temco insisted that since the tanks were located elevated above ground some 500 meters from the shoreline, that the puddle of the damaging tank had not escaped into the Pacific Ocean. Still, the, yeah, let's believe these guys now. Still, the level of contaminated water in the tank continues to lower, the company stated. At the same time, the ruined reactors of Fukushima uh, nuclear facility are located practically on the coast, which means the meltdown of the cores that destroyed the three reactors may have burnt through some of the concrete in the basement of the, of the reactor zone. Radioactive water is sinking down into the soil. They even said that after it happened, eventually getting into the Pacific Ocean, a fact confirmed by radiation samples. Oh, that's nice. So enjoy your radiated salmon, everyone. Leakage of radiated contaminated water has been the major threat to Jap Japan's population and the environment for the very big F Fukushima disaster. But until recently, Temco has been flatly denying that the radioactive waste is even escaping into the Pacific. Once again, corporations always tell you the truth and so do governments. Only in the, in the late July, the company acknowledged the fact that the contaminated water is escaping through the basements and the trenches of the Fukushima plant into the ocean. Japanese authorities have demanded that Temco take immediate measures to stop the radioactive leaks in the ocean, and the Fukushima disaster practically all Japanese nuclear power plants were taken off service for safety checks. Uh, so far, only two of the total 50 nuclear power plants have returned to service. So... Dude, I mean, that's some pretty crazy stuff. Yeah, this is this is sort of what I think. This is what sort of happens when you have, you know, education system that just develops people to be cogs and not think think on their own, like independent thought. And someone someone working at these these companies has to know that you know safety regulations are just being completely bypassed and things are being ignored. And and they they're just you know I don't know what kind of mindset they're taking with this, but but why did they why did they purposefully lie? That's the one thing that I don't understand. It's like why can't you just why can't you just come out and be like, listen, we need to just be real cautious here. This is you know nuclear waste. Let's move everybody out. I guess it's because they don't want to create panic, but you're gonna kill a bunch of people just because you don't want to create panic. I just don't understand that. They're in such shambles over there, though. I mean, their their debt is 240% of their GDP, and it's they're going to be happy if they can just get back, you know, get their economy, get their head above water again. I mean, I just think they're looking for any industry to just to keep things going to try to, you know, be able to get themselves back uh, with their legs underneath them. I don't know. I don't know what's going on over there. Yeah, so what I mean, they're two hundred they're two hundred plus percent GDP to debt ratio. Yeah. Oh that is no good. It's no good. It's we're right at one to one, correct? Somewhere around there? I don't, yeah, I I can't even imagine what something like that is like. That's why when when everyone says that we're gonna go into hyperinflation first, that's why I always point no, you probably Probably should look at the rest of the world. And Europe's, you know, obviously a little bit better than them, but Japan looks like they're in the worst shape, so Well explain to the people playing the home people playing the home game that don't really um that don't follow um economics too much, what what hyperinflation is and, and why why it would start somewhere else rather than here first. Well, uh, hyperinflation is just 
the point where your money, your devaluation of your currency is so high that, you know, like in Germany in the before World War II, people are literally using it as a heat source and there's just piles of money in the street and it seems like it's something that's out of a movie, but this is stuff that's occurred in, in history, but it just happens when you keep interest rates, you know, falsely low and inflation sky high and then that's at some point the the, the bow breaks and your currency is, is a joke and that's why we're trying to move to alternative currencies that are uh deflationary in, in value like Bitcoin or, or you know or gold or something that has a limited uh or back it with something like I don't know, could you back I guess you could back other currencies with Bitcoin, but you could back, you know, with gold or silver like other people tried to do in the past and I don't know. We'll we'll see. I mean that's 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 the best I can describe it to you. You've you've had people on and maybe you can uh no, but that's uh, it's it basically well. it's 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 almost like supply and demand. Think about it in in this form that your supply of your currency is so high, but the demand for people that actually want it is very low. So you have you have all of this basically like you were talking about just cash laying around and nobody wants it. It would be like you having a bunch of monopoly money. That's all it yeah, would be. Yeah, well, you're, like, just, you're pumping the supply you're so high that mm-hmm. You know, it doesn't fit market value. It doesn't fit market value for what they believe that it should trade at, and then that's where all the stuff kind of falls apart. They think they know. Yeah, they think they know what you know supply should be at and where interest rates should be at, but it's impossible to know those things. Only the market Hmm. can can dictate those things. Welcome to being a libertarian, everybody. Central bankers believe that they can control it by manipulating and predicting what kind of Stockpile they need in the money supply, where where most Keynesian or most um, Austrian economists believe that the free market will dictate how much money needs to be in the money supply, and not think that works. All all you have to do is look in history. I mean, just look at you know, look at Soviet Russia or some place where they tried to control supply of of commodities uh, of anything, and you'll you'll see that you know, it's oh, it's horrible. No, it's horrible. That's one of it was um it's one of the first it's one of the i think it's like chapter number 4 in um in a what's his name hold on Thomas Sowell's book the basics of economics and if you guys i mean he puts in layman's terms it's really simple to kind of and you can roll through that book it's really really simple but he puts it in layman's terms about how different having central planning is rather than letting free markets decide and he said that the biggest the biggest kick that he ever got in his life is when Mikhail Gorbachev came over to the United States and was visiting somebody in like Texas. I think he might have been visiting Bush in Texas. And they went to a grocery store together and he goes, "Why do you guys have all these brands?" He's like, "Why do you?" And he's like, "Well, I don't know, people buy them." And he's like, "Well, and then it was just talking about cereal. They had like three brands of cereal over in Russia. And that was it. And in America, we've got like I don't know, close to 100 and just ballparking it. So, right. so free yeah, markets are definitely the. And don't get it <laughs> twisted, everybody. What we have here is not a free market here in America. This is crony capitalism. Yeah. This is corporatism. Oligopolies. It's it's monopolies still. You know. It's Soviet. Ru- it's Soviet Russia back in the eighties is basically what it is. Where you're, they're using. You got governments, or excuse me. 
Big businesses using governments to shut down their competition and funnel all the profits to the larger corporations and organizations. So, all right, last uh, – I think this might be our last article for the evening. Yeah, this – and I want to get to this one last because this is really cool. Britain forced Guardian to destroy copies of Snowden's material. And this comes from Reuters. The editor of The Guardian, a major outlet for the revelations on the leaks from – the former U.S. intelligence coordinator. I don't like how they call them leaks. They're not. They're not leaks, and I'll get into why that's important later. The U.S. intelligence contractor Edward Snowden says that the British government threatened legal action against the newspaper unless it destroyed the classified documents or handed them back to the British authorities. Yeah, this is not a police state. I promise. In an article posted on the British newspaper's website on Monday, Garden, Guardian editor Alan Rossbringer said that about a month ago, after the newspaper published the stories based on Snowden's material, the British officials advised him, you'd had your fun, now we want the stuff back. And after the further talks with the government, Rusberger said that two, secure, quote, security experts from the government communications headquarters and the British equivalent of ultra-secretive U.S. National Security Agency visited the Guardian's London offices. Oh, so they just get, you know... They send the guys in black uniforms over there to come get your stuff. In the building's basement, Rosenberg wrote that the government officials watched as computers which had contained the material provided by Snowden were physically pulverized. He said, we can call off the black helicopters, he said, as one of the and, and Rosenberg said, well, one of the officials joked. The Guardian's decision to publicize the, the government threat and the newspaper's assertion that it can continue writing, reporting on the Snowden revelations from outside of Britain appears to be the latest step in the escalating battle between the news media and governments over reporting of surveillance, secret surveillance programs. On Sunday, British authorities detained for nine hours a domestic, par domestic partner of Glenn Greenwald, a Guardian writer who met face-to-face -face in Hong Kong with Snowden, and has written and co-authored many of the newspaper stories and the material. The Guardian reported the UK authorities subsequently confirmed that David Miranda, um, Greenwald's Brazilian partner, was detained in the British authorities under the anti-terrorism law, which held him in transit from Berlin to Brazil and was changing planes at Heathrow's airport. One of the security officials told Reuters that the main purpose of the government's detention was to question him Miranda Mirandia about or was sent a message from to the recipients of Snowden's materials, including The Guardian, that the British government was seriously um about trying to shut down the leaks. And this is almost done, so I'll just go ahead and finish it up. White House spokesman John Ernest told reporters on Monday that while the United States did not ask the British government to, uh, to detain Miranda, British officials had given the United States a, a quote heads up about the British government's plan to question him. Oh, yeah, they didn't tell him. Whatever. Rosenberg is a, is the article, excuse me, Rosenberg in his article on the Guardian's website said the dispute of the destruction of the computers in London, he told the officials due to the nature of the international collaborations among journalists, it will remain possible for media outlets to, quote, take advantage of the most permissive legal environments. Henceforth, he said the Guardian, quote, did not have to do our reporting from London, end quote. Since a source familiar to the matter said that the British authorities were on notice and The Guardian was likely to continue to report on the Snowden revelations outside of Britain's government jurisdiction. 
Rosenberg said that the meetings of the British officials before the computers were destroyed that he told the Guardian could not could not do its journalistic duty if it gave the government its request. In response, he wrote, the government officials told him that the newspaper had already achieved the aim of sparking the debate of government surveillance. He said, you had your debate, now there's no need to write anymore. An unnamed official was quoted saying. Miranda's drop-off, or during Miranda's trip to Berlin, the Guardian said that he had paid for it. He visited Laura Perutus, an independent filmmaker who was first a journalist who was the first journalist to interact with Snowden. Portraeus co-authored the stories uh, based on Snowden's material in the Washington Post and the German magazine Der Spiegel. Der Spiegel. Uh, Der Spiegel. Greenwald yeah. told the New York Times that Miranda went to Berlin to deliver materials downloaded by Snowden to Portraeus and acquired that Portros a different set of materials to deliver to Greenwald, who lives with Miranda near Rio de Janeiro. Greenwald said that British authorities seized an electronic material, including data memory sticks, which Miranda was carrying. But Greenwald told Forbes' website that everything that Miranda said was heavily encrypted. Haha, get some. Greenwald did not immediately respond to the email from Reuters requesting comment, while British authorities confirmed Miranda had been detained under anti-terrorism law. They did not further explain their actions. Of course not. Brazil's government complied about Miranda's detention in a statement saying Sunday that the British anti-terrorism law was unjustified. So the plot thickens, so they say. What do you think of all this stuff, man? The government's colluding together to just kind of basically put the clamps on anybody that wants to expose them, you know, doing anything else. Yeah, go ahead. How are we supposed to lie to our people? When you're telling them the truth that we're lying to them, what are you doing? What are you doing? I'm so angry right now. I've been lying to them for years. And you think you can just go out there and tell them and show them that I'm lying to them? Oh, man. Oh, I'm going to put you in a cage so hard. They're going to put him under the jail, man. If they ever catch Snowden, I like how Obama says, well, we're going to take good care of him. It's like... (laughs) (laughs) Meanwhile, one of our one of our friends is still in jail, awaiting trial. Won't get a yeah. won't get trial until October. I want to I want to quote Adam Kokesh on that. I think they're gonna they're gonna do. Uh, Adam Kokesh used to say say this about when he was over in Fallujah. They used to have a saying called uh, you know changing hearts and minds. That was the big thing when they were trying to do Operation Iraqi Freedom or changing hearts and minds. And they used to have the saying, yeah, two in the heart, one in the mind. That's kind of what they're going to change Edward Snowden's heart and mind, I think. That's probably (laughs) what will end up happening. Whether it's the Russian government after they are done using him or the American government or they'll make it a convenient uh, disappearance like uh, our boy Hastings or whatever they want to do. But that's. That's how this is going to be played. But let's just—I think he's—I think Snowden's just banking on the fact that he's just such a celebrity right now that that can't occur. You know, people would be just too, be too obvious. Uh, even if it is obvious, I really don't think that they care. I, I think at no, this point, yeah, they, they got people. At, at this point, I really do think that the government thinks that it's above the law. I mean, the way that they act, the way that they conduct themselves, and. Like I said, America, this is not your government. This is not what you signed up for. The government you signed up for is based on the Constitution Bill of Rights that that in basically ensnares governments like the one that we have 
in a whole bunch of legal issues, which they're blatantly just ignoring now and just moving forward because nobody says anything. Yeah, and it looks like uh, – uh, did you get – I think in the – what, there's still more of the article left, and there's a lawyer that comes in and protects this cat and does I, – I bash lawyers all the time on here, so I want to at least give this cat props. And, and not all lawyers are uh, are complete uh, uh, soulless individuals. I think I might have closed it. Oh man, I did. I closed it out. Yes. Yeah, I think I read. Right. I read a. I read kind a, of like an equivalent, a maybe like an ACLU type of uh, person here coming in and uh, helping this individual get out of the pickle over there. And uh, yeah, it was funny also to see some some of the uh, British words they have for like memory sticks, and you know they've got their own little <laughs> lingo. They're funny. Now here, you know, closing up the show here, and and thanks again for joining me, man. I I always appreciate yeah. your insight because um you yeah, know I'm even take though off, man. thanks for having me on. Yeah, and um just uh, what are your final thoughts leaving you know leaving the show tonight? What do you what do you want people to take away from from everything that we've talked about, even though we've been kind of all over the map? We've been all over the place. I think it's always it, it happens uh, too frequently, uh, just because there's like we always say there's so much craziness happening even week to week, day to day. But I think what's important is is what we were talking about earlier is that people we 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 gotta stop preaching to ourselves and we gotta get out and uh engage that you know, with dialogue, people at least make an attempt to uh get people thinking and I think a lot of people probably went home after seeing your sign and at least said, yeah, I saw some guy with a sign out on the street today, and at least maybe it started a dialogue even within their own household that might lead to, you know, evolution of consciousness or awakening of some sort. So that's, that's I think that's what we always try to end with. Right, is just try to start the brush fire. Just start the brush fire of consciousness in somebody's brain and then let them, because we're not here to tell you what to think or how to perceive things. We're just trying to present you with the information and how you process it and how you create your reality is really up to you. But at the end of the day, you do need to have the facts and you don't need to have the distorted facts. You need to have just a baseline understanding of how the world works, a baseline understanding of what your rights are. And then from there, you can kind of branch out and go, Hey, that guy's full of crap. You can't do that legally. And you know, and what we see is if you eviscerate the Constitution, everybody, and I go back to this a lot because do I believe that the Constitution is the be all end all? No, I don't. I believe we can do better than the Constitution. But what I That's think what the point of the amendments were supposed to be is to improve the document. Correct. Right. That was the idea. Correct. That's why they allowed that. It's because oh this this can get better. But that's right. not how it plays out, unfortunately. And that's and that's where I get in a real I get in a real um I guess I get um I guess I get angry with people that just want to change willy nilly. They're like, We could just change this law and change that law. Like, no. We have a law of the land and if you want to make adjustments to it, there's a process to it. And what we've gotten away from is due process and we've gotten away from just the plos- the process of how to govern a society. And yes, you're going to have the detractors that are going to say, "Well, the Constitution was good for 13 colonies, but now we're now we're 300 million people, and it's just not going to work." I say bullshit. I say bullshit because we haven't even tried it. We haven't even tried implementing all these things. Imagine what your life would be like now, knowing what you know about the NSA and 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 data mining and all this stuff. 
and the race baiting and everything like that. Imagine what your life would be like if you could walk down the street and know that you were protected by law to not be stopped and frisked, to not be questioned without, and not be detained without any you know, probable cause just because they feel like they want to stop and frisk you. I mean, that's what you need to understand because they're talking about doing stop and frisk up in Detroit, which in that situation, that might not be a bad idea. But once again, it's unconstitutional. So I think I'm going to have to be like, you know, the good doctor, Dr. Ron Paul, and say, um, I, I say no. You know, no, I say no. that we can't do it. Yeah, Doctor No. Yeah. And I do have a I do have a five minute clip from Ron Paul. So I think yeah. that I'll um I'll end with that yeah. and uh yeah. ladies and gentlemen. But don't thank believe you. us people. Yeah, don't no, believe no, no, us. No. You know, do your own research. That's yep. that's the point that like you're trying to get at. You know, don't I always tell people that, you know, don't believe me if I'm trying to explain anything, just just go out and do your own research and and come to your own knowledge and conclusion about things, but Correct, and don't be the, don't be the libertarian megaphone either, everybody. We've all everybody knows what the libertarian stance is. You don't need to be the libertarian megaphone. If you want to do something, get out there and incite real change by physically going out and showing up and showing your discontent for the way that the government's acting and the way that you believe that this should be governed. And just go out there and try to incite change physically without force. Once again, the non-aggression principle. Go out there and try to en enact change by voluntarily offering up information so that people can see your information and then align with you, and then we can move through this together. So thanks for joining us, everybody, and I will leave you with Dr. Ron Paul from 1999 talking about my favorite topic, the police state. Once again, thank you for Jacob Yannicki joining me tonight on the broadcast. Always a pleasure, my man. Thank you so much. Yep, peace. The time of the gentleman from Pennsylvania has expired. The gentleman from Texas, Mr. Paul, is recognized for five minutes. Thank you, Mr. Speaker. Happy birthday, Ron Mr. Paul. Mr. Speaker, earlier this year, another member severely criticized me on the House floor for declaring on C-SPAN that, indeed, many Americans justifiably feared their own government. This fear has come from the police state mentality that prompted Ruby Ridge, Waco, and many other episodes of an errant federal government. Under the Constitution, there was never meant to be a federal police force. Even an FBI limited only to investigations was not accepted until this century. Yet today, fueled by the federal government's misdirected war on drugs, radical environmentalism, and the aggressive behavior of the nanny state, we have witnessed the massive buildup of a virtual army of armed regulators prowling the states where they have no legal authority. The sacrifice of individual responsibility and the concept of local government by the majority of American citizens has permitted the army of bureaucrats to thrive. We have depended on government for so much for so long that we as a people have become less vigilant of our liberties. And as long as the government provides largesse for the majority, the special interest lobbyists will succeed in continuing the redistribution of welfare programs that occupies most of Congress's legislative time. Wealth is limited, yet demands are unlimited. A welfare system inevitably diminishes production and shrinks the economic pie. As this occurs, anger among the competing special interests grows. 
While Congress and the people concentrate on material welfare and its equal redistribution, the principles of liberty are ignored and freedom is undermined. And more immediate, the enforcement of the interventionist state requires a growing army of bureaucrats. Since groups demanding special favors from the federal government must abuse the rights and property of those who produce wealth and cherish liberty, real resentment is directed at the agents who come to eat out our substance. The natural consequence is for the intruders to arm themselves to protect against angry victims of government intrusion. Thanks to a recent article by Joseph Farah, director of the Western Journalism Center of Sacramento, California, appearing in the Houston Chronicle, the surge in the number of armed federal bureaucrats have been brought to our attention. Farah points out that in 1996 alone, at least 2,439 new federal cops were authorized to carry firearms. That takes the total up to nearly 60,000. Farah points out that these cops were not only in agencies like the FBI, but include the EPA, the U.S. Fish and Wildlife, the Army Corps of Engineers. Even Bruce Babbitt, according to Farah, wants to arm the Bureau of Land Management. Farah logically asks, when will the NEA have its armed art cops? This is a dangerous trend. It's ironic that the proliferation of guns in the hands of the bureaucrats is pushed by the anti-gun fanatics who hate the Second Amendment and would disarm every law-abiding American citizen. Yes, we need gun control. We need to disarm our bureaucrats, then abolish the agencies. If government bureaucrats like guns that much, let them seek work with the NRA. Force and intimidation are the tools of tyrants. Intimidation with government guns and the threat of imprisonment and the fear of harassment by government agents put fear into the hearts of millions of Americans. Four days after Paula Jones refused a settlement in her celebrated suit, she received notice that she and her husband would be audited for 1995 taxes. Since 1994 is the current audit year for the IRS, the administration's denial that the audit is related to the suit is suspect, to say the least. Even if it is coincidental, don't try to convince the American people. Most Americans, justifiably cynical and untrusting toward the federal government, know the existence, the evidence exists that since the 1970s, both Republican and Democratic administrations have not hesitated to intimidate their political enemies with IRS audits and regulatory harassment. Even though the average IRS agent doesn't carry a gun, the threat of incarceration and seizure of property is backed up by many guns. All government power is ultimately gun power and serves the interests of those who despise or do not comprehend the principles of liberty. The gun in the hands of law-abiding citizens serve to hold in check arrogant and aggressive government. Guns in the hands of the bureaucrats do the opposite. The founders of this country fully understood this fact. And I yield back. The time of the gentleman from Texas has expired. And that's it. Thanks for listening, everybody. That was uh, Dr. Ron Paul. That was probably the best um, five-minute speech that I could find to just basically sum up everything that we're facing. And that is what we're facing. We're facing, um, you know, we're facing a an army of bureaucrats. 
just like he said back in 1997. So this has been going on for quite some time. And uh, we just have to pay attention and we have to push back and just say no. So thanks for listening, everybody. Uh, get a friend, get informed, get involved. Check out my new video on the We Are Not Cattle TV site. And um, love liberty and freedom, everyone. You deserve your With lucky landslots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Oh, 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 O'Reilly. You need parts? O'Reilly Auto Parts has parts. Need them fast? We've got fast. No matter what you need, we have thousands of professional parts people doing their part to make sure you have it. Product availability. Just one part that makes O'Reilly stand apart. The professional parts people. Oh, 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 O'Reilly.